anyway, I had this opportunity to go then to Ukraine. And while I was there, the the leaders of the team were pretty hands off. Um, they were they were like, yeah, go and be with the Ukrainian uh, people at this camp. Um, and so I did. <laughs> and it was, I don't know, I think just that freedom to be able to go to, there wasn't a ton of, I guess, opportunity to fail, but there was room to fail. Mm. Um, and just having that as a, I don't know, knowing that whatever I did, I was doing as Christian and not because someone else had told me to, um, obviously within, within guidelines. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. And so, um, God really used that, that trip and that freedom of, I guess, choice and taking responsibility to, catalyze in my heart this just passion for serving uh, in difficult places. You're listening to the City Network Podcast. Our mission is to grow and multiply healthy churches in the Treasure Valley and beyond. Head to thecitynetwork.org for more info on our initiatives to catalyze church transformation and church planting. Here's today's podcast. Welcome to the City Network Podcast. I am your podcast host for the day. My name is Josh, and I'm joined by our guest, Christian Phillips. What up, Christian? Hey. Good how day. Are you do- how are you doing today? Super. Doing super. Awesome. Christian is a real-life Gen Z. In the wild. In the wild. And uh, today, we're just going to be talking about his journey growing up uh, in the church uh, he is just, you know, you hear all these stories about how Gen Z is leaving the church and there's been a huge exodus of people in their early twenties. Barna has, you know, covered a lot of this research over the last couple of decades. Uh, but Christian is one of those guys who, uh, has devoted his life, not only to following Jesus, but even to ministry. And, uh, I have, uh, kind of a cool, cool relationship, uh, formerly being, Christian's youth pastor. And so we're going to get, just get to talk about that a little bit. So Christian, first question for you is just, you know, looking back, what would you say are the things that, you know, in your, uh, teenage years, your growing up years that you feel like were really helpful in solidifying your relationship with God? Um, yeah. Uh, I could probably name a number of different things <laughs> um, <clears throat> that contributed to it. I think it maybe is necessarily so complex um, to keep <laughs> keep us in the church. But um, you and I have talked about this before. One huge thing that made a huge, huge, huge difference in my life um, was the amount of effort and just time that you and your brother and then um, I mean, Stephen and Nathan, the other youth leaders uh, for our group of guys just poured into our lives. Um, being willing to ask hard, weird questions um, yeah. of teenage guys and say, hey, like, what's going on? What are you what are you thinking about right now? Um, and really meeting us where we were at. <clears throat> and so, I mean, speaking from my own my own experience exclusively, like, yeah, just um, the amount that you guys poured into our lives was a huge, um, just a huge help, I guess, in like me being able to see what it means for, I mean, you guys were also pretty young, but for an adult <laughs> to be <laughs> uh, a Christian and then, um, 
I don't know. You guys did a really good job of living life alongside us um, and inviting us in where I think a huge thing in the church is maybe not that kind of uh, discipleship. And so that was one really, really important uh, factor in where I'm at now. And I think another really big one was um, the opportunity to go on short-term missions trips. Right. Um, and so I don't know if we've talked about that in this context before, but yeah. Um, it really helped me get a grasp of what my faith as like Christian Phillips means. Um, not just my parents' faith, not just the faith of my church, um, but really being there on the ground and seeing what the church of Christ looks like in other countries was very eye-opening for me. And then also like, oh, this is why I should take responsibility of my own faith because there are uh, we were interacting with youth who were the same age as us who were also making these like eternal decisions uh for jesus and it was it's crazy to see and i think just that perspective uh, really helped me kind of take ownership and responsibility for my faith early and then that um was another thing that carried on and so i think like the just living life alongside discipleship that you guys did and then um opportunities to practice and like learn what it means to take responsibility of my faith those two things happening at the same time were crucial for me to then be where i'm at right now um, yeah yeah definitely i think that i mean those are two really really simple ideas but over the course of time i think make a huge difference i wonder if you could help give maybe just a little bit of stories or examples of just that relational discipleship piece. Um, I know that uh, Barna came out with a statistic that about only 19% of American Christians have been personally discipled or mentored by another Christian. So when, when a lot of people even hear that idea of like life on life or, you know, doing life together or whatever, for a lot of like, honestly, the, the majority, 81% of American Christians, maybe even church leaders don't really have uh, a picture of what that looks like. They're like, Oh, you, you went to youth group together or you, you went to church, you went to the same church as that person and you did the potlucks or whatever. Right. But what, like, what, what would you like, what are the things that, and again, it's the cool thing is it's not just like me. It's not just one person. It's, you know, there's multiple leaders over the course of your junior high and high school years. So yeah, what did, what did that look like for you? What were some of the things that, you know, memories that stick out to you or, or stories? Um, <laughs> man, I, and this is what I'm super grateful for is I have countless examples I can think of, of even just like our relationship. Um, but I think, I think back on all the times that we were able to like play card games, you, me, and just a few other guys, or that, um, Actually, even now, as whenever he's in town, one of the other leaders and I just spend all of our time together just talking and catching up. Um, I think for like little practical examples, it's the inviting us into whatever your life looks like, <laughs> um, which sounds dumb. You actually touched on this in a sermon last Sunday too, um, not a couple of days ago, but a uh, week and a half ago. But um, this idea of like, discipling kind of just means like bringing someone with you to whatever you're going like if you're going to the grocery store because i need to pick up personal groceries and it's like hey you're coming with yeah. me um and yeah i don't know i like experiences like that where it's something 
that like we would all just go on a hike together and maybe we didn't talk about anything, but just the space to be able to talk about um, whatever was on our minds, whether big or small. Um, the, the space that we were given during backpacking trips um, where we would just backpack into the mountains and camp and hang out and then just in all of that time of having fun together and laughing. Um, I don't know, you guys established that relationship with us of, hey, you can talk to me like we're here yeah. together we're camping we're at this lake or when we all went to australia <laughs> for like a week and a half or however long um yeah i don't know it's just the doing whatever's fun for you but inviting us to be there with you i think is like all of all of my memories that are important come from stuff like that yeah, yeah. for sure i think you know, what you said about creating space is so huge because a lot of people try to force discipleship to fit, you know, those important conversations, which are important. It's important to have deep conversations about where someone's at. Do they believe in God? What are their doubts? And, you know, that the things are struggling with the sins that they need to confess. There's, there's really, you know, those are all really important things, but when you only give someone like a small slice of your schedule, you try to all right, we're going to go from zero to 60 in this 45 minute time frame, And then I'm going to kind of clock out, you know, <laughs> yeah. whereas what we really tried to do, and this is like the heart of relational discipleship is just to not always force the issue, not to ever avoid the issue of, you know, deep conversations, but more so to just spend time together outside of those programs uh, and know and, and expect God to meet us in maybe unexpected places, whether it's, yeah. you know, in a living room, on a hiking trail, on a bus, on a car ride, you know, like where we're on an airplane, wherever it might be. And uh, it takes a lot more, you know, it takes a lot bigger investment, like relational investment. But I think you're right. You're going to you're going to get to those things, um, you know you're going to, you're going to get to those deeper moments, uh, over the long haul. Let me just ask you this question. This might be, um, maybe a tricky question to answer, but, uh, we, you know, you're not the only person that I've discipled. I've discipled, you know, half, you know, a dozen, couple dozen guys over the years. And not every one of those guys is still walking strong with the Lord or would even say that they're a Christian anymore. Um, right. And I know it's for you being Gen Z, these are like your, your friends, the people you grew up with your peers. Why do you think that is? I mean, I, yeah, there's like all the researchers and the, you know, the church is doing this, that, or the other wrong, like that sort of thing. But um, just, could you kind of like, I don't know, spitball what, like, wh why do you think that, that that happens or maybe even has happened at a pretty high rate uh, with my generation, millennials, and then even uh, accelerated rate with Gen Z. Mm -hmm. uh, you're right. That is a tricky question. <laughs> um, I think the countless people that I've spent time with in college and just like people who are around, you know, my age who say, oh, I'm done with the church. Um, in every case, at least with people I spend time with, it comes back to the, it feels fake. It's not, it don't feel like anyone's relationally connecting with me. Um, and even guys from our group, 
uh, from that youth group uh, are somewhere in that category because after leaving, uh, after graduating high school, it's it would have then been our responsibility to plug in places and uh, connect with churches and find that relationship elsewhere. And it's just, I don't know. I mean, you'll see it everywhere that the church just is having a really hard time figuring out how to disciple people. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't know. I I remember one conversation I had with this guy when I was living in Salem, Oregon. Um, he got lost. He worked for a church and he decided that his faith and everything like kind of got lost in the production. Maybe it's all just a sham. Maybe people are putting this on um, for looks. And he ended up leaving the church and still studying at seminary, but not because he believed in God. Um, mm. He was in this really weird spot because he's like, if so many people are faking it and doing such terrible things, there's that hypocrisy mm -hmm. um, element for sure. Um, he's like, if so many people are doing such terrible things, I don't want to be a part of it. Um, and then the most powerful thing he said to me later was um, every Thursday I hosted anyone I could get a hold of at my house for dinner. And he, I invited him one time and he came, connected with people. We talked about faith and he told me this story. And then the next day he texted me and he said, Christian, five years ago, I invited you into my church. Since then, I've lost God and I've moved on. But last night you invited me into your church and it's the best experience I've had with church in a long time. Wow. Yeah. And it was just really interesting because the image wasn't that I invited him into this like production this this sunday right. morning you know whatever it was a gathering of friends loving each other and spending time and that's like that is what people are longing for um and so i guess like my my final point on that is um a lot of people my age are leaving the church because there's not other people my age being willing to welcome them yeah um, which is super weird because you would i don't know like i guess you'd expect another generation to be able to help and they you know they can but um it really would take one on fire gen z person to just create that space now for more gen z people i think to come back and really yeah yeah definitely i always and i always encourage because it's i mean <clears throat> god has blessed our church hill city church we're seeing a lot of college students a lot of gen z young married people um coming i always say like I don't know what we're doing, but it's working type idea, you know? Hmm. Um, but one of the things I always try to do when I find someone like yourself, right. Who's living out their faith in their twenties is that Gen Z is the best position generation to reach Gen Z. And so, you know, I would just say this to church leaders listening to this podcast who are just scratching their heads about how we're going to, you know, get the, the, the college kids or, you know, it's almost like people kind of talk about it. Like, how do we trick them into coming back to church, lure them with pizza or bowling? Like what works? You know, we tried that with youth ministry, you know, do they still like pizza type idea? Mm -hmm. And I just say, try to find, like you said, try to find one like on fire Gen Z person, disciple them. Cause odds are they, pre they might not be discipled. Um, 
and then just unleash them to go and to reach their friends. Yes. And another thing I would just say that to highlight what, what you said is, you know, hypocrisy. I mean, this is old, this is like age old, right? Jesus called out hypocrisy at every turn during his ministry. But um, if hypocrisy is what is turning people away from church, uh, then authenticity is going to be the thing that draws them back. Mm. And so we've really, at our church, we really try not, to, we try not to be like cool, or at least we, we, we try not to like come across like we're trying too hard to be cool. Yeah. Uh, because I think that, you know, when there's that layer of superficiality, um, people can really tell that really quickly. And so I would just encourage church leaders as well. If you want to try to be relevant or cool, the coolest thing you could be is just to be authentic, be yourself, invite people in a genuine relationship. Some of the best people at our church who are discipling younger people are in their sixties and they're leading small, small groups and Bible studies with, you know, a group of people in their, in their young twenties and not that sort of thing. And so, yeah, those are huge. And it's, I mean, what I would say about your story as well is just because someone has walked away or is struggling or doubting in their faith, it doesn't mean God's done telling a story in that person's life, right? Yeah, you know, totally. for you and your buddy and for him to say like five years, you know, it's been five years and I, this is like the first moment of hope. God's been pursuing him all through that five years. And yes. now he's, he's using you to like further that story and who knows where that story will go. And so I, I think people have to learn not to be so critical on themselves. Like, oh, I failed. I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I was a youth pastor for this many years and look at my, you know, success rate or whatever. <laughs> right. And just know that, you know, trust God with the growth and, and uh, trust him with those things. So, yeah. 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 I really, I really appreciate that last thing the trust God with the growth. Um, yeah because that's not something that we're in charge of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Tell me about uh, some of the mission trips, some of the maybe bigger ones you got growing up, you got to go on some, some bigger ones. And then we also tried to incorporate as part of our youth ministry, some uh, maybe more, more close, closer to home ones, but yeah, tell us, tell us about some of those things. Cause those were, I think that's another point that you make is, you know, giving people the ball and letting them play the game type idea is, is really, really important in discipleship. So we've talked a lot about the relational piece, creating space, authenticity, all that. But let's talk about like, all right, we've got to start like trusting younger people to do ministry. Tell, tell me a little bit about some of those moments for you um, as you grew up. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I would say this is maybe the most um, instrumental piece in my, I mean, in God's plan in my life, as far as like kickstarting this, this passion in my heart. But um, from a young age, I knew that I, I had felt convicted about what happens to people who are born, live their whole lives and die without a chance to hear the gospel. Hmm. Um and that, like, that always made me feel just really sick and sad, um, even when I was like ten. Um, and so, people began to learn this about me. I would share that with people who were close to me, and it became this thing that I was just like, "Yeah, I want to be a missionary." 
Um, and I shared it with family friends and people who are in our lives or who were in our lives when I was growing up a lot. Um, and I think partially because of that relationship I had with those people, um, when an opportunity came up, they thought about me and they said, Hey, Christian. And it was in 2013. They said, we're taking a team to Ukraine, um, to work with young life in Ukraine. And I mean, even from the beginning, it was just such a clear um, example, I guess, of God's hand in getting a phone call in the middle of the night from one of these people who said, hey, I had a dream that Christian went with us. <laughs> and my mom was like, oh, call me in the morning. <laughs> um, so, but anyway, I had this opportunity to go then to Ukraine. And while I was there, the the leaders of the team were pretty hands off. Um, they were they were like, yeah, go and be with the Ukrainian uh, people at this camp. Um, and so I did. <laughs> and it was, I don't know, I think just that freedom to be able to go to, there wasn't a ton of, I guess, opportunity to fail, but there was room to fail. Mm. Um, and just having that as a I don't know, knowing that whatever I did, I was doing as Christian and not because someone else had told me to, um, obviously within, within guidelines. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. And so um, God really used that, that trip and that freedom of, I guess, choice and taking responsibility to catalyze in my heart this just passion for serving uh, in difficult places. Um, so coming back from that, I felt just supercharged to, I wanted to keep going back. I want to keep doing that. Uh, and it sounded awesome. Um, and the next year I wasn't able to go back to Ukraine. And so I stayed just in the U S um, and then the following year I was able to go then to Russia, Latvia and Armenia, all again, working with young life. Um, and it was again in this, this opportunity that um, the young life, I guess people who had sent me were like, yeah, you have, freedom. These are the decisions that you have to make. And we're trusting you to make the right decisions. Um, and within that, go. Um, and if you make the wrong decisions, there will be consequences, but you get to have that choice and responsibility. Um, and again, like I spent two and a half or a month and a half uh, over in Russia, Latvia, and Armenia that summer, again, just spending time with Young Life. And it was incredible because that whole time I'm figuring out what I look like in a missions context. I'm figuring out what, like how I trust God. I have room to have done things wrong and then reflect on that and be like, Oh, I did something wrong. Um, instead of someone being there and kind of hovering or holding my hand through all of it. Uh, as that translates then to back in the U S and, and time with, um, with you guys in service projects or, um, other just service opportunities in high school, um, being challenged to consider what I'm passionate about, being challenged to consider, hey, what would you want to do in this scenario? Um, I remember being in high school and just being invited to come and serve at City Light here in Boise. Mm, yeah, and it was just an invitation. It was like, hey, do you want, do you want to do this? And I was like, uh, sure. Um, and I had that, the choice, I had the opportunity to go. And then even if I had been like 
maybe forced to go, but while they're given responsibility of a task that makes sure that I do this, um, I think that would have still been really effective. But all that to say, um, the the ability to choose the freedom to make something my own or figure out what it looks like for me to do that thing. Uh, those were just <laughs> super, super helpful. Uh, and then me realizing what my passion then for my life looks like based on these things, what I'm gifted in and what God is calling me to, because someone wasn't forcing me into some mold. It was just go and figure it out. Yeah. Um, does that answer your question well enough? Yeah, that's great. And I think, you know, for us, we, you know, if, if people have the opportunity to do short-term mission trips, you know, there's a lot of ways that short-term mission trips could not, not be beneficial or helpful. Right. It's kind of like that when helping hurts and all that, mm -hmm. but as a discipleship opportunity, especially for younger people, it's a really formative thing. Oftentimes, you know, our church wants to send more teams over and I especially want to send more younger people over. Uh, because it really helps um, not just create a global perspective, but exactly like you're saying, it like helps people figure out their own calling, you know, um, have a mind outside of their own kind of typical American. So what are you interested in? What do you want to go to college? And what's a job that you can make a good amount of money so you can get a good house? You know, it's like there's the the steps and then say like, how about you spend your own money and try to fundraise to go somewhere else and help other people and see what God says to you about your life after that. Like that's just such a formative thing. Um, but also just on a local level, right. Getting invited to go serve at a shelter in town or, you know, in our youth ministry, uh, we replaced all of our summer camps with service-based camps. Mm -hmm. So we would, we, we went from like, you know, kind of like a cool youth ministry with really fun at games and activities to, Hey, we're all going to go and serve at Boise rescue mission. We're going to serve at the food bank. We're going to help yeah. park parks and rec for hours, shuffle bark, you know? <laughs> and like, it was like, well, what's your selling point? It's like, we're our selling point is, I don't know, like, please come to our camps. And like, we actually saw an explosion of, of growth when we made those shifts, mm -hmm. which is kind of contrary to how many youth ministries operate. So, but essentially yeah. it was, it was to your point, we wanted to give students the opportunity, not just to explore what it's like to be used by God, but also to fail. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge thing. Yeah. Giving someone the opportunity to like fail, but in like an environment that it's okay to fail um, fail, failing for God, you know, type idea. Yeah. yeah. An experience so. I will never forget was a time when we went out. Um, I don't know if it was a decision that we had made as our group of guys or the youth group or some combination, but went out to uh, downtown Boise and were just tasked with buying something for a homeless person, um, or like the houseless people that were down there. And, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know. Just the the challenge and freedom to go and do that. And it's yeah. like, um, it's not like we were just unsupervised, like just meandering and, you know, something could have happened. We were just, we were together in these little groups going around. And I don't know. It was just, 
I, I remember vaguely the guy we talked to. I remember the conversation, but I remember most just these guys trust us to go and do this thing um, and figure out what it means for us as high school students to love this person well. Yeah. Do you um, remember what you, you guys picked? Probably food. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't remember. It's been a while. Um, yeah, but I no, it's huge. And it's like, like, once again, I think there's just so many Christians who themselves have never had those kind of experiences. No one ever maybe like gave them the ball and said, here, you can, you can play, you can get in the game. And I think that's just, that's just, that's going to have to be a switch that we flip in the church in America, a switch from consumerism to contributing. And um, usually contributing comes across as serve, give, attend, contribute to our organization of the church to learning to contribute really to the kingdom outside mm -hmm. the walls, helping people find their gifts and, and, you know, the things that Jesus said about helping, helping others. Right. Right. Yeah. All, all of that sort of stuff. So, all right. So you, you graduate high school. Tell me about, uh, you go to college. This is a huge thing, by the way, with that, you know, discerning your calling in life, right. Causes a lot of stress for people. I, I know I kind of glossed over that earlier with the American dream thing, but it's a huge deal for someone who's 18, 19 years old. Um, you go to college, you're thinking about what is God leading you to? Um, and then you end up now, tell me a little bit about like, all right, what are you, what are you doing now? You've had this passion for missions. It seems like that God put it in your heart from a very, very young age, which is not the case for everyone. Mm. So just tell me about like going to college, the, those years, and then how that has led you to where you're at now. Yeah. Um, so I went, I ended up graduating high school and going to Corbin University out in Salem, Oregon. Um, being from Boise, that's not, that's not too far away, but it's far enough. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a Christian school, right? Or it's a, it's a Christian school, right? Yeah. Um, and so being there, being isolated enough to where every decision I make is a decision that I am choosing to make, um, and not that someone's influence is choosing for me. Um, the first years in college were a lot of learning what it means to professionally like do homework according to a schedule that I have to make myself because no one's going to help me do that. Um, and when it came to serving, when it came to um, still that passion for mission, I think having so much framework from my high school years from i guess from my like before college youth was all that i had to lean on in in then that time of like what does this mean for me like there wasn't someone standing next to me saying hey go and you know you want to go and do this thing i mean i went to a christian school so it wasn't like abnormal to talk about missions or to talk about community service but at the same time my motivation toward those things had to come internally um, and so I would say one thing that helped a lot in, in college and then as I continued to pursue this passion that God had placed on my heart was the experiences I'd had before, being able to look back on just ways that God had come through and, and really encouraged this, this path. Um, 
And so I had the opportunity to do a couple other short-term trips. Um, and I think another, another point to talking about empowering youth to take responsibility for things, one of my professors um, really encouraged me, really got to know who I was, partially because the school was small anyway, um, but said a lot of really helpful things as I was going through university based on what she knew about me personally, based on that personal investment in my life. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get that from my university because my university was small. However, I know that at bigger universities, that's less of a case. Um, and so yeah. instead, like it's imperative that you plug into, a ch I mean, it's imperative that you plug into a church anyway, <laughs> but plugging into a church right. to <laughs> role. Um, yeah. Anyway. And so she just encouraged me along having this, this spiritual mentor who had lived 20 years on the mission field, had done what I wanted to do. Mm. Uh, but that relationship wouldn't have developed if I didn't put the effort in to make it happen. Um, I wouldn't have known that she spent 20 years on the, well, I would have from a class, but <laughs> she wouldn't have known so much about my personal life had we not talked, um, had I not put in the effort which I knew was a safe space because of conversations that I'd had before with, even with you guys as youth leaders of like, just this person probably has my best interests in heart. This person wants to encourage me uh, in my faith. Um, and then the, I guess the end of that road from university was she encouraged me to change my major to linguistics, which was fantastic and a great shift and super personalized based on who I was which she wouldn't have known if I was just a random other student, um, encouraged me to then start learning Farsi and go on a missions trip to Greece and work in a refugee camp. Um, and I think all of this, again, to the point of just empowering us, empowering this generation, was that was so encouraging. And then being able to go with the encouraging and goading from a professor who was there and saying, Hey, go and go and do this. Like, let me help you get, get to your goal. Um, but then while I was there, every, every decision again that I made was on me. Um, right. And then being able to look back at experiences that I had had with you guys in youth group in high school on the mission trips in high school. Um, I was able to really make the most, I guess, of being there on that trip. Um, and that's when God really opened my eyes and my heart toward Muslim people. And so I came back to university for my senior year. And that's when all of these different stepping stones kind of just formed an actual path. And I, I got to a point where I said, God, like you've broken my heart for unreached people, for Muslim people. Um, because of every touch point along the way of people who've invested in my life, I confidently feel what I feel now which is as Christian Phillips, I care about unreached Muslim people. Yeah. And so that year I committed to work for an organization that works exclusively with Muslims um, in Muslim contexts. And now, and that's kind of how that story ends for now is now I'm a mobilization coach with this confident passion and what I'm doing, being able to share that with churches, with universities, with, individuals um yeah and i think the most important thing and the most important thing in my character to do this job comes from how many people just affirmed my heart for this thing uh, along the way yeah 
Yeah. One of the things I love that you said is, you know, for so many, so many, I mean, everyone wants that. Like, I wish God would lay out all those steps Mm. well in advance. So I could just, I could know the roadmap. I could know exactly where my life's headed. But the reality is that's often when it comes to God's calling, it's often in hindsight, or it's just before we need to take those steps that, that he gives us what we need. I think of Esther, you know, that, Mm. that moment where she's like, you're reading the story of Esther and you're like, obviously God made her beautiful. So she would get selected you know, he, she's in the palace. Oh, and there's the like right-hand man to the King wants to kill the Jews. Oh, she's Jewish. She's got this position, you know, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. She doesn't even realize it. Like you're reading it and you're like, obviously you're going to save the day. This is you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And she does it. She's totally oblivious to it. She doesn't even really know about the problem until her, um, her cousin Mordecai, kind of her caretaker father figure comes to her and he says that famous line for such a, how do you know for such a time as this, you are in the position you're in. And uh, I always try to encourage just younger people who want to know the whole roadmap. It's just, look, keep taking the next step that God is showing you. And if you do that long enough, you will get to that for such a time as this, it, it will become clear Um, I know for me, my journey into becoming a church planter, a lead pastor, all that sort of stuff was very muddy and and murky. And I had no idea many times what I was doing at all. And yet that I can look back now and there were moments of clarity, but we can't force that clarity. All we can do is trust God and follow him those next steps. And uh, so I would just, uh, you know, I love you that you shared that. And I hope that there's anyone listening who's wrestling through that, or maybe someone who's listening, who's discipling someone younger, who's wrestling through that, not to try to force clarity before uh, it comes before God gives it, because otherwise sometimes you just make the water a little bit more muddy than it needs to be. You're like, I wish this water would stop being so murky and you're stirring it around. It's like, listen, you just, sometimes you need to actually just be still and wait on God Mm -hmm. and, uh, and trust him, even if it's, a little uncomfortable there. So yeah, what is it, you know, what is what you're doing now look like? What is what you're hoping to do in the future look like? And even like, where could people learn more if they're interested in you? One of my friends says this thing that I think is just so, so valuable when you're talking about just next step, just whatever it takes. If it's a baby step, if it's just stepping out of the boat and having no idea what's going on, she says, take little steps of yes. Hmm. Um, where you just wake up in the morning and you pray and you're like, God, give me, even if it's just a step that I can say yes to. And after several little steps of yes, you'll look back and you've walked a mile. Yeah. And so, yeah. Anyway, that I just, I love keeping that in my mind when I'm making decisions in a day. That's cool. Uh, Yeah. And so, um, yeah, work for this organization and it's, uh, it's incredible. So we're the largest Muslim-focused missions organization. We are working in 52 countries in the world. Um, We send from 31 sending bases that are in different countries, and we send, we have 49 nationalities represented on the field. Um, And so 
some of our teams are mixed groups of a bunch of different people from several countries and some of them are just from maybe one or two. Um, some of our teams have five languages spoken between all of the people on the team. Um, but the biggest thing that we do is inviting people to ask, not what can I do to bring the gospel to this place, but what must be done to reach the unreached. Um, in the world, there's 3.35 billion unreached people who don't have access to the gospel at all. Um, of that 3.35, 1.7 billion are Muslim. That's an unfathomable number. Um, yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, here in the Boise area in the Treasure Valley, we have over 20,000 refugees. We have the mo more Afghanis than anywhere in the U.S. per capita, um, but a ton of refugees and a ton of opportunity to reach some of these lost people who, without this now immigration process, they, they never would have had a chance to hear the gospel. And now they're here in our neighborhood. If you want to get a hold of me or contact me about any of the stuff, I would love to talk to anyone about missions broadly um, or even not about that at all, um, if anyone wants to connect. And so if you want more of my information, I can have, you could reach out to the podcast and we can get that to you, reach out to City Network. Um, but yeah, and then that's, is that the answer? Is that what you asked? For? That's Josh, great. I don't remember. <laughs> hey, one last question as we wrap up here. I know there's a lot of uh, church leaders probably listening to this, various capacities. Um, what would you just say, you know, if you were to give some advice? Uh, I know that, yeah, you're you're in a position of, you know, heart for ministry, working in ministry, but not necessarily local church leadership. What would you say? I think it's really, really helpful. One of the best things for people like myself is we get kind of this tunnel vision on the ministries that we're working in. And it's really good to help just hear wisdom, advice, counsel from the outside. So, you know, just kind of to wrap up everything that, that we've been talking about for yourself as a Gen Z, Gen Z Christian, Heart for Missions, if you were to think about someone who's in my chair as a church leader, what what's something that you would um, say to me that you think would be an encouragement or a challenge to help in discipling younger generations? Uh, I would say the big the biggest thing that comes to my mind is make an effort to genuinely appreciate a a Gen Z person in your church, even if it's just one. Um, and that can look like saying, hey, thank you for being here. Like approaching someone that you maybe even don't know and just saying, thank you for being here. Um, trying to make an effort to connect with them personally. I know that may be weird if, you know, different gender, different age or whatever. I don't know if you're like, um, if there's a boundary there, then that's cool. But um, as much as you are able, noticing, and listening to young person in your church, um, it makes a world of a difference when a pastor or a church leader comes up to me because they noticed me being there and they just say hello. And they just say, I'm glad that you're here, even if it's just that. And so anything after that is so encouraging and it would just be such great motivation for me to consider 
What does that mean for me to get involved in this community? Because I want, I want that. I want that connection. So yeah, that would be the thing I say is, is really just make an effort to make someone feel appreciated um, by listening to them and what they have to say. Awesome. Well, thanks Christian for being on here. I'm proud of you. And I, I pray the Lord blesses you, you know, and, and I know he's already using you and he'll continue to use you to do great things for his kingdom. So thanks for being on the podcast today. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for, thanks for doing this. Thanks for listening to the City Network Podcast. If you have any comments or questions, join the discussion on our Facebook group at thecitynetwork.org slash group or sign up at the website to subscribe to updates from our blog and podcast.